Hi there, and welcome to this podcast, The Three Taboos, Cancer, Grief and Mental Health, where I open up the conversations about the subjects that affect us most, but that equally scare us the most. The things we'd rather hide away from than discuss. If you don't know me, I'm Tabby Kerwin, and I love to talk about things that matter. I love to host conversations about taboo subjects and just generally encourage people to talk, share and communicate for better mental health and to deal with the challenges that life puts our way. Who am I and why am I hosting this podcast? Well, I'm a published writer, conversationalist, performance coach and mental health advocate and trainer. I'm not a mental health professional, therapist or psychologist, but I am a mental health first aider and first aid instructor, and I am constantly learning and developing my knowledge and skills in the field of mental health. Based on my knowledge as a trained musical performer and my own lived experience of mental health issues, cancer and grief following the death of my husband in 2018, brother in 2014 and father when I was just 16 years old, I host open and honest conversations on these topics that are considered taboos. Please note that whilst none of the content in this podcast is meant to shock and is delivered in an open and honest, safe and light way, chats often contain references to suicide, self-harm, cancer, death and other mental health related issues. Please look after yourself and be aware of any of your own triggers and seek appropriate support and professional advice for any issues that you may be experiencing. Much love and enjoy the podcast. episode I am delighted to be joined by the beautiful Helen Clark. Helen's husband Angelo died in December 2018 and she talks to me about living with grief, moving forwards and how she has found meaning through her work as a celebrant. So I'm really delighted to be joined on the podcast today by a lovely friend of mine, um, Helen Clark. Now Helen and I both lost our husbands within about six weeks of each other I think it was, wasn't it Helen? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Very short space of time. Yeah, so Angelo died about is it 17 months ago now he died on um at two o'clock on boxing day morning 2018 yeah and he had been ill or lived with an illness I'm not going to say he'd been ill he'd lived with an illness for quite a long time hadn't he he had yeah he'd lived with multiple myeloma which is cancer of the bone marrow he was diagnosed with that in 2006 at the age of 39 so 13 years he'd lived with with his illnesses yeah. Now, I'm always quite specific when I talk about um, how Simon died and all the rest of it. Though he had cancer and he lived with cancer and treated for it and actually had, you know, kind of beaten that. Um, it's still very pe- easy for people to say that he died from cancer. But I'm quite adamant to say, no, he didn't. It was something else entirely. And was that that was the case for Angelo as well, wasn't it? It wasn't. Well, the, it, was, yeah. it was a surprise. His death came as a surprise, even though yeah. he lived with this serious illness. Yes, it did. I mean, he was, um, he'd um, developed kidney failure in the November 2017, um, part of sort of all the treatments and the ongoing conditions. And he was on home dialysis for that. Um, But, you know, we'd had a lovely Christmas day and a lovely boxing day because it was actually two o'clock 
of the morning of Boxing Day night, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And um, we'd come home, we'd been to a family party, we came home and um, we went to another friend's for an evening party and we had quizzes and we had a lovely time and we got home about quarter past 12 after dropping some friends off and Angelo had driven and by half past two he was unfortunately deceased um, and it wasn't as you quite rightly say the cancer um, it was a blood clot um, you know the coroner's report came back with a blood clot as a result of his death so yeah that's what it was even when you're living with someone who's who's got these illnesses though there's always a part of you no matter how positive you are I think there's always a part of you that that does jump to a what if and you kind of prepare yourself for a death associated with that but I think in both our instincts the death came so suddenly that can you actually prepare prepare yourself for that did you feel prepared for that or not um no I didn't because um you know we'd been numerous times um had to rush Angelo into hospital in the middle of the night in an ambulance or in my car for a spike in his temperature for um being ill for all sorts of reasons pains yeah. and chest pains and whatever um and so you know when he actually when the paramedics were taking him down the stairs um and I'm packing his bag and as you'll know tabby you know you can pack a bag in in moments oh yeah you know you know exactly what's yep. going into that bag and they'd said to me you know we will take him in and i'm packing his bag and i said to him i will see you at the hospital because i always used to drive just after the ambulance so yep. that you know i wasn't in the way um i'll see you at the hospital and he had cardiac arrest in the ambulance um and can you prepare yourself no because as i was driving literally down down you know the dual carriageway into the center of leeds i was saying out loud to myself hmm this is a new one we've not had this before because he seemed to sort of faint and his eyes rolled and he yeah. sort of went into a into a blackout and i was saying out loud oh this is new we've never had this before well here we go something new. another ology is what i actually said because over the years angelo's been in every ology department <laughs> and the only one he hadn't been in was gynecology and he was quite <laughs> upset about that so it was um you know it was just a routine here we go again visit and because we'd had such a lovely couple of days um no it, it nothing can prepare you for that um you know the shock is is immeasurable yeah yeah absolutely and um, when you as you say you can pack a bag so quickly or you know you're doing a, a mad dash to the hospital when there's spikes in temperature you know there's a, an infection coming on and all the rest of it and you can almost kind of quantify that in your head you know you're very become very pragmatic about it and this Absolutely. is what we're going to do this is yeah. what's going to happen and then suddenly when that gets taken out of your hands and something different happens yeah even then it's like okay so we'll just get over this thing but then when suddenly you're not getting over it it's it's yeah it's, um... it, yeah it's a bizarre feeling because like you say you know you'll arrive at the hospital they'll be there in a and e for a, a while or on an assessment ward and then they'll go to a ward and then we'll start visiting and the temperature will go up and down and uh, you know and you like you quite rightly say you have this routine in your head of what it's going to be and you know i'll be washing pajamas every day and taking new pajamas in and you know and i'll get the visiting rotor sorted out and and because you've done it so many times that's the routine and then suddenly that stops yeah and you your brain is still going at a hundred mile an hour 
for the routine that whoa because it's not just the routine of them going in the hospital as you well know when you're caring for somebody at home it's the routine at home it's the fact that i ordered his tablets i did his dosset box you know you know i did angelo's dialysis machine when he wasn't feeling well enough i plugged him into it i did the readings i unplugged him i cleaned it down i could do all the aseptic you know hand washing and barrier experts it's um the chemo machines that, that you have in hospital you know the nurses Absolutely. are going oh, i'm not sure why it's beeping and i'll be like oh just press this and yeah. this you, you become yeah. so good at these things yeah, yeah. we've got blood pressure blood pressure monitors at home yeah. you know uh, temperature uh, uh, thermometers at home yeah. you know you become like this really like a secondary nurse people used to say to me at the at the consultation you know do you have a medical background and i, I thought exactly no. the same thing every time yeah. when you see someone new oh are you are you a doctor yeah. are you not, yeah. no yeah. No, I'm just nosy and I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 all of that routine as well that you suddenly don't have. And yeah. I mean, my friends were amazing. Um, I have a friend who's a, a, a matron and her and her husband and some other friends literally came sort of the day after. And, you know, whilst I was in a state of flux, they completely sort of moved all the tablets away, took the dosset box away, this um, sort of uh, unassembled his machine, yeah. um, took down the unit that we'd got, all that, tried to make it something that I didn't have to look at, which was really kind and I really appreciated that. Yeah. So, but you've still got that routine embedded in you because you've done it for so long. Yeah. So you've not only lost, you know, your partner, your husband, you've lost all that routine, all that responsibility that you had for them. And the fact that for a long time they've come first in your thoughts, you know, if you're going somewhere, what time do we have to set off? What's plan A? What's plan B? If they're not well, you know. Yeah, you've got every contingency. Yeah all the time and that goes that goes as well that's it i mean grief isn't just the losing of a person it's the losing of the life and everything that went with it and it and that's not just the the good stuff it is you know that routine that you developed especially with someone that's had cancer or an illness such as that that routine being gone you feel lost just from losing that you know you lose your purpose don't you you do you do because even things like you know the appointments would come through I would take you know the appointments I'd write them in the diary I would then put them in my phone I'd then put the appointment in a plastic sleeve and it went on the cork board you know so all of that yeah you know that it's just it's all that loss yeah and it's all that you don't realise how much time you spent doing that until you don't have to do it. Well, yeah, and you, you realise that actually over that time you've lost yourself and you don't know who you absolutely. are as a, as a single person, as an, just an individual. You don't know. Yeah. No, you don't. I remember standing in the supermarket for the first time after I'd lost Angelo and thinking, what, what do I want? for my meals because it's never just been what do I want it's always you know we were married for 30 years it's always been what shall we have yeah and that even that was so hard to just think about well what do I want to eat yeah when do I want to eat because when Angelo because he was a diabetic again I had to plan that into the routine 
Yeah, it's so difficult. So, you know, when this happens and you, you're mourning a death, you're mourning a life, you're trying to rediscover how you are. And and Angelo, like Simon, was life and soul of the party. So there's also this massive void of character as well yeah. that you've lost. Um, I mean, tell us a bit about Angelo because he really oh, was a character. <laughs> well, even in adversity, Tabby, you know, you know, Angelo's sort of uh, staple reply to anybody saying how are you was never better. Um, you know, just to give you an example of the man, uh, there were 700 people at his funeral. Yeah. Um, everybody who ever met Angelo, the main thing they said is they always felt like he was interested totally in them yeah. when he was yeah. talking about them. He was a the type of guy who would remember the names of the kids or where they worked or what their interests were. And they would, he would refer back to that. He made them feel special. He, you know, we met through the theatre. We did lots and lots of wonderful shows together. He was an absolute gem of a person, a husband, a friend, uh, you know, to everybody who met him. Mm. Totally lit up a room, but was never overpowering. Happy to sort of sit in the background and watch what was going on. But my goodness, when he decided he was going to take the floor, he took the floor with Storm and everybody else came with him. And, you know... Uh, the stories that myself, family, friends could all tell that involved the naughtiness of Angelo Clark is just <laughs> yes. unbelievable. Yeah. You know, he was a naughty man, he's a cheeky man, you know, he's he's made me laugh from the moment I met him, you know, to the moment he actually died. He, he you know, he made me laugh. Yeah. Um, you know, Angelo being Angelo wanted to give something back into the NHS. We started fundraising. A friend of ours suggested a ball and that went to eight balls. And we raised, we've raised sort of £280,000 for Myeloma UK for the research because Angelo's mantra was, "Your the penny that you donate today could be the penny that makes a difference. You know, and some of those balls, he would literally come in in a wheelchair, say a few words and then have to go to bed because... Yeah. He, he was so ill, um, but that was the type of man, always wanting to be the doer, the giver, um, an incredible person. Yeah, and that's what I've been so thankful for since Simon's died, is because he was so naughty. I mean, we, <laughs> along with some friends, diagnosed him with this syndrome. I mean, we used Wikipedia to diagnose him, so there's nothing medical going on here, but Wietzel's syndrome, which is uh, having an inappropriate story or tale to tell at inappropriate moments and that was Simon and Angelo yeah, exactly he, he yeah. clearly <laughs> had that he clearly had that syndrome as well absolutely yeah um and I think that's one thing that I've been really grateful for I mean I I have always been very keen to talk openly about Simon and sometimes I suppose speak about him as if he was still here because his character and those stories everything lives on and I love it when people come and talk to me and their recollections are the naughty stories are the things that he did that got them into trouble but he squeaky clean you know and I love that and I and it's really given an opening to to talk openly about a person and I think a lot of people find that really hard to do when they've lost someone they they close up but how yeah. important I mean you've been very open talking about Angelo um since since he died um how important has that been to you to 
to be massively able. important and i mean you know exactly the same as simon angelo has been remembered he's been you know and as you know tabby one of angelo's things was to have photographs taken with this a serviette over his head yeah. with his glasses yeah. over the top and always saying you know i'm smiling you know under this and i mean last year somebody set a, a task or a, a challenge that all our friends whoever went on holiday had to have a an angelo photograph with a serviette somewhere and i mean there were loads yeah you know that the hashtag that came out of his um, memorial service was be more Angelo if we could all be a bit more Angelo yeah. and people took that on and 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 they wanted to talk and they wanted to tell the funny stories and they wanted to like Simon say how naughty he was and what he did with them and you know do you remember that's been massively important and and other things that I've I mean I've had a bench put up for him and again people have gone to the bench and had photographs done with yeah. the serviettes at the bench you know I've had a couple of um trophies made one to go to his junior school one to his senior school um, the junior one is the um is the angelo clark cup of kindness that yeah. kids can vote for each other who've been kind to each other the senior one is the good citizen award and and the pride that i've had in seeing the people who have won those yeah. was just lovely because you know to to do that in angelo's name to stand up and tell them strangers about him and and then see their reactions have been have been massively important. So yeah, Angelo will never ever ever be forgotten like Simon. Yeah, um, we've got so much that lives on. Be that in so theatre memories, you know, yeah. Simon's music, and yeah. and I will never stop. You know, I have had over the last eighteen months people say, well, I had one particular incident which was only six months after Simon died, and and I put a post on Facebook because I'm not going to be shy of sharing memories or photos or. Or stories or anything like that and and someone had you know said that I was sharing too too much and I was obviously unhinged and not coping and all the rest of it um and I can really appreciate why some people will stop talking and you know and using that as a way to to learn to live with grief because this perception other people think that you should move on after a certain amount of time and and I just I can't buy into that myself you know that, that, no, that, that, we they, are yeah we are the people we are yeah. because of our husbands yeah because they were part of our lives absolutely and they will never not be part of our lives and it's part of our history and what helps me and I remember I remember somebody saying something that was really really poignant not long after I'd lost Angelo and they said at the moment every memory that you have is of you and Angelo but as time goes on, you will have memories of things you've done on your own. And it makes that easier to look back into the memories of you and Angelo because not everything is sort of overtaken by you and Angelo. And, and, and when they said it, I thought, oh, I don't really know what you mean. But I do now, I do get that little bit because the memories at first you're remembering everything the good the bad the ugly the difficult times the times when they've been so ill you 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 do and they do say time is a healer and it helps you forget the pain and that's why they say you know women have more than one child because yeah. <laughs> they forget the pain they'd never have another if they didn't um and you do tend the the dark bits of their illness tend to 
go a little bit more faded and the prominence of their life and their their person persona really comes forward so you're remembering the happier times yeah. rather than all the difficult struggly times that you've had of course the the you know the shock and the upset and the loss and the grief of the death takes a long time if it, if ever to yeah, it's to, always there isn't it you just go away but the memories are i can think about things now without crying yeah all the time you know like you i'm sure there are times when you know something comes on the radio you have a look at something you know you look at a photograph and suddenly you yeah. are in a place where it's you can't stop the tears flowing but it is easier to look at the happy times the good times with having that little bit of time to have your own memories as well yeah and i have to say everything i do now even though i feel very happy being by myself and doing the things for me now which you said about before everything I do is is very much fueled by the energy and the love and the support that Simon gave me so even though he's not here all of those things that he gave me uh, you know I always say that that he gave me the skills to be yeah. me yeah I totally agree. and I will be forever grateful for that and it, that will always be with me no matter where I am who I'm with or whatever that that's always there I agree. I agree. And, it, you know, we have to embrace those skills and we have to not feel, you know, the guilt is a massive thing about when you are moving forward. Yep. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of guilt attached to things that you do. And, you know, that I've cried a lot over things, you know, even going on holiday yep. and you think I shouldn't be doing. And, you know, that everybody will have different experiences of how long it takes for that guilt not to be the over sort of taking factor of you doing anything yeah. people get through that at different you know different stages of their grief but you know guilt is a massive thing as well yeah definitely and and I the thing I love about grief and I've written about this actually is that I, I call it the art of grief because actually grief can be really beautiful as well it's not just all the negative things it's not no. just denial and sorrow and you know all those negative emotions it is all the beautiful things all the beautiful memories all the things that you can learn from and develop from and that you that will always be with you as well and I do think that grief can equally be as beautiful as it is heartbreaking i mean is that is that something that you kind of buy yeah well? I, yeah I, I understand that because it you've got to allow yourself the grief yeah. um because not allowing yourself the grief and sort of veiling it or shielding yourself from it isn't good so you do have to allow yourself to, and and grieving allows you to bring forward the beauty of your relationship and the reason why you are grieving like you are and it also, you know, I've found sort of grieving with friends. They all, they've said things that are just beautiful, you know, about, about Angelo, you know, things that you think, oh, what a wonderful thing to say. And, yeah. and they find it comforting to be able to say those words. And I find it lovely to hear those words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Grief is a strange one because it's so very, very personal. Absolutely. For me, it's, you know, finding meaning in that grief, finding meaning in Simon's life has, has definitely been a massive help in moving forwards with my grief, um, whether that's, you know, through his music or just through the stories and all the rest of it. Um, and it kind of helps me 
move forwards with what I need to do and want to do and gives me confidence as well to do that um in terms of finding meaning and moving forwards for you obviously there's been things that you're doing now that that are amazing and are there like me you know using your story to help others and support others really because you're uh, you're a celebrant now aren't you and I am I am I was um, I was in banking for 38 years yeah. um but always sort of had a, a, a an interest in the funereal industry yeah I could have been a funeral director. I have no fear of death or, you know, it's, it's not anything that upsets me um, as in dealing with, with deceased people. And when Angelo died, um, I had decided the, the year before um, that I was going to retire in 2019 yeah. uh, to spend more time with Angelo because I was 55 in, two, in August 2019. But I decided not to go back to work and I did actually step back from the bank in the April and I'd been heavily involved in Angelo's funeral and I'd written poetry and I'd organized the funeral and a wonderful friend of mine who's a funeral director had been um had, had done a wonderful job with the funeral and I'd talked to her about 12 months before about doing something in the funereal industry and after the funeral she sort of said to me do you know I think you would make a really really good celebrant because you have the empathy to deal with people who are going through a really difficult time you have lots of skills you have you know public speaking and you've done the theatre and you can write and so I thought about it and in July last year I took a course with the Institute of Professional Celebrants in Malvern and it has just completely opened a new chapter in my life. I've done over 60 funerals since I qualified. Wow. Uh, I do weddings and baby naming ceremonies as well. Yeah. But the, the honour that I feel in doing a service where I can tell somebody's story and do it well for the last time gives me such joy because for the families at their difficult time, it's not my grief. And people said to me, friends said, oh, we thought it might be a little bit soon for you to sort of start doing this. They're, they're now completely, you know, see that it's not. Yeah, because you it's compartmentalise it, don't you? You do, yeah. 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 It's not it's my grief. To, uh, to have the empathy. Absolutely. But it's someone else's experience that you're sharing. Somebody else's grief, but it's yeah. your empathy. And, you know, you never say, I know exactly how you feel, um, because you don't, yeah. because that's their grief. But... I consider it a complete honour for me to do a service and I've had the most amazing feedback. I've had the most lovely comments. Uh, people who've said, gosh, you must have known the person really, really well. I, I don't. I just take the time to make sure that the story that I tell includes everything that that family want you know and I've had people get out the out the funereal car and say oh, my grandson's just told me this little story while we've been driving could it possibly go in? of course it can go in you know because I want to make sure that it's the service that they absolutely yeah. want it to be so Tabby it has it's opened like I say new doors for me and and I'm absolutely loving it yeah and that idea of being so honest and talking in that way is is such a help with grief it's so important for people to do isn't it being open and honest about it Um, and you're giving these people such a a great 
start to their their grief journey as such by by showing how being open and honest can actually bring joy and as many smiles and and you know love and laughter as it is it heartbreak as well and i'm sure that there'll be a massive benefit for them as well to that for anyone that's really struggling with grief though and in terms of moving forwards and don't feel that they can talk about things or talk about their partner or parent or whoever it was have you got anything that you can suggest to them and how they can open up um yeah i mean i've um i went and had a counseling session um because i wanted to check where i was with my grief yeah um i have a friend who lost her husband 16 years ago and at christmas uh she said to me i'm going through a really really hard time and that's because she'd recently retired and i think she bottled sort of pushed her grief away and got on with her you know quite high powered job suddenly that job had come to an end and the grief had come pouring out and we talked about going for counseling And after I'd had a conversation with her, I thought I'd like to sort of check where my grief is because I don't want to think I'm doing all right, actually, and then wake up one morning and suddenly find out I'm not coping. So I went to Cruise and had a couple of meetings at Cruise. Um, Only had two because quite quickly I realized that I was doing all right with my grief. Um, And I think because I'm able to talk about it with friends, with family, I, I don't bottle it up. Um, what I would say to people if they are struggling um, with their grief is to try and find somebody um, to talk to. And whether that is a bereavement support group, um, I'm, I'm sort of supporting people through the COVID-19 um, pandemic at the moment um, through a group of people who are supporting people on a WhatsApp um sort of uh, little seminars um so there are things like that if people don't want to talk face to face but they want to you know have some support where people in the same boat are supporting each other there are obviously bereavement support groups your doctor um a friend you know anybody who can you feel you can talk to and i think what i think the hardest thing for me to say to somebody was I'm vulnerable because I think because for 13 years I've been the organizer, the one who did the tablets, the one who did the appointment, held down a big job in a bank, la, 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 la. Suddenly to say, actually, I'm quite vulnerable is the first difficult thing to admit. I am struggling to say I am not coping with this very well. And I think once you start to sort of admit that if you are uh, not coping or you feel you need to talk about your grief that's the that's the hardest thing to do and the first and the best thing to do because once you've admitted that you can then find the help or the you know the comfort or the assistance that you need to cope with that and I think sometimes the longer it goes on you think that people think well they should be getting over this now they should be moving on they should be fine and I think as a widow or a widower um, or anybody who's lost anybody, you suddenly think, oh, should I be talking about this? Am I now bring it, bringing it back up in their memory when they're wanting to forget about it or they're wanting to move on? Are they thinking you shouldn't be talking about this now? 
you absolutely should um because if you talk about it they'll talk about it as well um you know and if, if it's somebody who you don't know and if it's a counselor they are just there to listen and help you find your way through it so you know it, it is different for everybody but if people are struggling i would say try and get some help rather than struggle on your own yeah talking is key definitely starting those conversations thank you so much for having a conversation with me today helen it's been so lovely to hear about angelo and to hear all the amazing things you're doing and i know that what you said will really help others as well so thank you you're welcome lovely to talk to you tabby thank you so much to helen for joining me today i find her words and honesty and grief truly beautiful if you want to find out more about Helen's role as a celebrant of celebration, head over to www.facebook.com forward slash Helen Clark, the celebrant of celebration. Thank you so much for listening today. Storytelling is one of the oldest forms of communication. So that's why this podcast is full of stories and experiences of my own and some amazing guests, which I hope will help you build resilience, feel hope and find happiness when you need it most. That's what I'm here to do, support you through the highs and lows. Consider me your coach, confidant, champion and cheerleader. We all have mental health with one in four of us experiencing mental ill health at any one time. We will all experience grief and one in two of us will be affected by cancer. So it's time to start talking about these things in an open and honest way to support ourselves and each other. If you haven't read my book yet, The Three Taboos, Cancer, Grief and Mental Health, you can find out more details at www.mode4.co.uk. And if you want to join in the conversations about taboo subjects, then why not join my Facebook community, The Three Taboos, at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash The Three Taboos. I'm so grateful to all of you that take the time to listen to this podcast. And of course, to the amazing people that have joined me to talk about really important subjects and share their personal experiences in an open, honest and light way. The topics may be taboos, they may be serious, but in this podcast, you will experience all the positives, smiles, love and laughter that come from the darkest of times. I hope you enjoy it and will join me in the future conversations. If you do enjoy it, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I look forward to you joining me again next time.